You're listening to Biceps After Babies Radio, episode 245. Hello, and welcome to Biceps After Babies Radio, a podcast for ladies who know that fitness is about so much more than pounds lost or PRs. It's about feeling confident in your skin and empowered in your life. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, a registered nurse, personal trainer, wife, and mom of four. Each week, my guests and I will excite and motivate you to take action in your own personal fitness as we talk about nutrition, exercise, mindset, personal development, and executing life with conscious intention. If your goal is to look, feel, and be strong and experience transformation from the inside out, you, my friend, are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki. And today on the podcast, I have Dr. Megan Rossi, and she is a PhD researcher who has done a lot of work researching the gut and improving gut health. And one of the things that she's really passionate about is helping us to be able to eat more plants and to make it easy to eat more plants and eat a wide variety and diversity of plants. I found this conversation with her fascinating and I I really loved what she shared because I feel like sometimes when we when we go to improve our health a lot of us know that we should be eating more fruits and vegetables, but she really kind of expands that idea of it's not only fruits and vegetables, but what she calls the super six. And it's really about getting a diversity of those six into, into our diet. And you'll hear towards the end of the episode, she really speaks to like the competitor in me. Uh, and maybe, maybe you'll relate of, uh, wanting to, wanting to win. And she kind of has a game that we can start to play with ourselves in terms of increasing the, the diversity of plants that we are including into our, our diets. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for this episode because there's lots of simple, really tiny tricks that she relates in this episode that you can start to implement today to start to improve your overall health, your gut health, and you know your, just your, your vitality and feelings of energy. I think most of us are looking for, hey, I want to sleep better, I want more energy, and I want to feel better. And she really starts to make the connection between how eating more plants can really help us to get there. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Dr. Megan Rossi. All right. I am so excited to welcome onto the podcast, Dr. Megan Rossi. Megan, thanks for being here today. It's an absolute pleasure. I am really excited about this. Um, I was telling Megan before we hit record that I think this is really going to land with a lot of you because I know that eating healthier and fueling your body is a really important thing that most of you are focusing on. And we're going to really dive into the vegetable side of that today um, with Megan. So First off, let's just have you introduce yourself to my audience. So who are you um, and what are you known for? Yeah, so I'm a registered dietitian and nutritionist with a PhD in gut health. And I actually work as a research fellow at King's College in London. So I think it's fair to say that I live and breathe all things nutrition and gut health. And, you know, I I actually am Australian, uh, but ended up in the UK after finishing my PhD and showing that actually nourishing our guts can improve people's lives in very real and often surprising ways. So it's not just about gut symptoms. It's things like better hormone control better metabolism, better mental health. And I knew that if I really wanted to, you know, help people, I would have to continue after my PhD in terms of the research world to really, you know, further that investigation. So 
I moved from Australia to the UK um, and I continued to work as a research fellow there. But I think about a year into into working um, exclusively as, as a researcher, I just got a bit frustrated despite the amazing research that was coming out showing how we could very simply and easily transform our lives via our gut health. It wasn't being translated. So mm-hmm. as one does in the 21st century, set up the gut health doctor on social media and just so many opportunities from that have arisen, including the new book, How to Eat More Plants. That's so awesome. And I think a lot of people don't understand that connection between like bench research and then actually like getting it out to the masses. It's like one thing to like publish it in a scientific journal, have it be peer reviewed. And like, that's the gold standard, but like that next step of now making sure everybody hears about it, it, it's often, it's not the researchers that are doing that, that pushing. So I think it's so cool when someone who is doing the research then can come out and like also be spreading it to the masses. Yeah, look, there's just such an injustice to like all of this amazing kind of research we're finding out about our body. And I, you know, continue to see patients as a dietitian and, and found that people coming to me thinking that they were doing the best for their gut because they'd read it on a blog about being very restrictive with their diet and going on these crazy fasts, et cetera. And, you know, here I was, I was seeing the very, you know, forefront of the research was completely the opposite of what people thought were good for them. And it was just that injustice um, to, you know, this organ that I'd fallen in love with and saw so much power that I was like, I need to do something about it. Like, let, this needs to get out there. Um, so, yeah, that's why I kind of set up the social media path. That's awesome. And and gut health really is an emerging field. I mean, this is only something in the last little while that we've even paid attention to and realized how much our gut can impact our health. Um, I mean, so you're really on the forefront of an emerging science uh, in this area, which is really exciting. Yeah, look, I mean, when we talk about gut health, I think everyone's heard of the word, but what it is exactly is not often communicated. And actually, it relates to this nine-meter-long digestive tract that delivers food from entry all the way to exit. Now, that nine meters is incredibly important for three things. One is digestion. If you don't have good gut lining, no matter how healthy the food you put into your body is, you're not going to get that nutrition from your gut into your blood to feed the rest of your body. So digestion is the first one to get the most out of your food. The second one is the immune system. So 70% of our immune system lives along that nine meter digestive tract. And that's why not just things like the common cold, but even things like COVID, we were seeing people with better gut health had a much lower risk of becoming unwell if they did get COVID. But it's the third element to that nine meter long digestive tract that's brought the fame over the last couple of years. And that's just the discovery of the trillions of bacteria that live along that nine meters. And, you know, anyone who's into science will know the sciencey name is the gut microbiome. If you don't like that sciencey name i nicknamed it as my gm Um, but essentially it's this community that has so much power in terms of transforming our health and it's not as complex um or restrictive as i think we've been led to believe to look after it yeah so can you describe a little bit more um like you kind of talk about the gut and and the and the three things that it really impacts but when we start talking about health and you know our overall health and our overall well-being why is optimizing the gut such an important part of that yeah look we we've discovered that so many of the things we thought human cells did like hormone production vitamin production you know impacting brain function impacting um you know our metabolism we thought that was just down to human cells But because of technology, we've now been able to, I guess, identify the types of microbes that are living in our gut and understood that actually they're doing a lot of that work for us. Um, And 
keeping them happy in turn keeps the rest of our body functionally optimally. Um, So in the book, How to Eat More Plants, I talk about things like the gut metabolism axis, the gut skin axis, the gut um, brain axis, the gut hormone axis, you know, and what I mean by axis is this two-way connection that occurs between the both. So our gut very much seems to be at the center of regulating these other elements. And an example is with estrogen, We know that our gut bacteria actually um, help regulate the amount of estrogen throughout our body. And and we're seeing things like, you know, people who go through the menopause, if they look after their gut health, they have a much lower risk of having things like hot flushes, for example. Um, You know, and even, you know, people struggling with PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, etc. Again, looking after the gut, focusing on the gut, I've certainly seen in clinic and we've got the research now to back it up can significantly improve that diagnosis. Uh, And yeah, it's really just been over the last couple of years where I guess this landmark scientific discovery has uncovered, you know, the power of this organ. And and yeah, that's why I'm so excited about getting that information out there. Yeah. So, you know, we can talk about improving um, gut health, which is like, you know, a a buzzword of like, I want to improve my gut health. But how do we, how does one measure their gut health? Yeah. So, you know, when I was writing my first book, Love Your Gut, I was like, because everyone literally asked, that's the number one question I get asked, how do I not have got good gut health? Yeah. And I was thinking, gosh, it's tricky because there's no single assessment. Right. So when yeah. I was writing the book, I came up with this 10 question assessment, which I can get, um, I can give to you guys, you know, you can play it completely free online um, to all your followers so they can, they can have an idea of where their gut health sits. Because what I wanted to really get across to people, it doesn't necessarily mean the absence of gut symptoms means you've got good gut health. You know, I talk about things in the questionnaire, like how stressed are you? How often are you getting sick? Do you have family history of conditions, etc.? And it gives you a score from zero to 20 where you sit on this gut health scale. And then it can help you identify what areas you need to focus on to really reach kind of your optimal gut health. Because everyone's on a very different gut health journey. Um, and that's why I believe about kind of personalizing it and making it work for you wherever you are. Yeah, that's really good. Um, that's really awesome. One of the things that you talk about, and you know, we're going to kind of move into awesome. I want to improve my gut health. Like, what are some of the ways that I can do that? Um, you talk a lot about plant-based diversity. So, what is that, and and why is it really the cornerstone of a healthy diet? Yeah. So, we've known for a long time that people who eat more plants seem to have better health live longer, look better, feel better, everything. We never really understood why until recently. We now understand that plants contain dietary fiber and fiber is something that human cells can't digest. So when we eat plants and the fiber, it goes through most of our digestive tract undigested, unlike fats and protein, which we digest by human cells. It gets to the lower part of our intestine where we have those trillions of bacteria and fiber then feeds those gut bacteria. So bacteria are the unique ones with the enzymes to break down that fiber, produce all of these amazing chemicals, which then regulate our appetite hormones, communicate with our brain function, communicate with um, you know the, our estrogen levels and our hormones, etc. Um, so that's essentially why that we've been missing. It, it's because plants feed our gut bacteria. But when I talk about plants, I think it's important that we we know I'm not just talking about fruit and veg. And I think this is a bit of a outdated kind of concept where the governments, um, wherever wherever you live, whatever country, they're always saying eat more fruit and veg. 
And what they're forgetting is actually there's new science out there now that talks about these six different plant categories. And in the book, I call them the super six. And they are your whole grain, so things like, you know, your oats, your quinoa. You've got your legumes, so things like your chickpeas and your lentils. You've got your nuts and seeds. You've got your fruit. You've got your veg and your herbs and your spices. Now, each different plant category, so each different Super 6 member, provides our body and gut bacteria with different type of nutrients. So if we're cutting out or not getting one of these super six in our diet most days, we're actually not feeding our gut bacteria that diversity they need to be able to work at their optimal health. Um, So that's where this new concept of diversity comes in. And I talk about in the book in terms of helping people very easily. It sounds like a lot, but actually it's very easy. And I'm sure we'll talk about some simple tips to achieve it, but get in 30 different types of plants each and every week from those super six. If you do that, you will have amazing gut health. That's awesome. So in in terms of fiber, is there a recommendation that you're giving your clients to be aiming for in terms of fiber intake per day? And are you differentiating between like soluble and insoluble fiber? Yeah. So that's a really good one. So, you know, when we talk about fiber, you know, historically we are still in in a lot of uh, practices, they talk about soluble and insoluble just to separate out the two types. But actually what we know is there's close to a hundred different types of fiber and they don't nicely fit into soluble versus insoluble. Um, So actually that's one of the reasons why that diversity comes into play because we want all hundred types of of those dietary fibers um, that don't necessarily fit into soluble versus insoluble. Now, in um, most Western countries, we're getting less than 20 grams of fiber in a day. Most government guidelines recommend about 30 grams of fiber a day. In the US, I know for males, it's 35 grams. Um, yet, we know our ancestors had over 100 grams of fiber a day. And there's been amazing studies which highlights really trying to improve our mental health Um, And what's worked is 50 grams of fiber a day. So in the menu plans in the book, I generally aimed uh, to achieve at least 50 grams of fiber in people's diets a day, which again, I I hope we we do talk on some of the really simple tweaks you can do to achieve that because it's not extra effort, extra cost. It's just thinking slightly different when you're at the shops. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And we will get into that, but before we do, um, are you helping? Are you suggesting people to titrate up their fiber intake? Because I imagine if you're if you're jumping from like standard American diet, you're consuming like 15 grams of protein, and you go all the way to 50, that's going to be kind of a shock to your system. A lot of people like start getting constipated, or they start being bloated, or like all. So you know, are you helping clients to titrate it, or, or what recommendations would you make as you're making these transitions in your diet? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was one of the really important elements in the book is, you know, around how to eat more plants. It's about following the protocol to increase them gradually because the worst thing I hear is people go, plants don't agree with me. If (laughs) I add beans to the diet, I get bloated. I I just can't have, I want to have them, but I just can't because they don't agree with me. Um, And, you know, my past 15 years as as a dietitian, I've not met a gut that I haven't been able to teach to eat and max out and get their 50 uh, grams of fiber a day. But like you said, there needs to be some steps. So the first one is slow and gradual. And this will depend on how sensitive your gut is. Mm -hmm. So some people need to go really, really slow. And in the book, I've got the sensitive gut menu plan. So if you notice that you're quite a sensitive gut person, you're prone to bloating, maybe you've got IBS, then that's the path I I suggest you follow. Because what I've done 
is I've taken out certain types of fiber in that menu plan where it's more likely to cause gas and bloating. Um, and these are called FODMAPs. We know FODMAPs are beneficial. They feed a gut bacteria. But actually, if you've got a sensitive gut, when you're starting to increase fiber, you know, you want to reduce down the amount of those certain types. So I've certainly taken the guesswork out of it. You don't need to be a whiz. You literally just follow the kind of the recipes that are that are listed there. Um, but, you know, in a practical sense, it might be, you know, half a cup of veg extra each day for the first week and then see how your gut feels and then maybe increase an extra piece of fruit in your diet each day for the next week and then increase you know every couple of days have um, a quarter cup of beans in your diet and and kind of that really slow progression as well as ensuring having plenty of fluids because we know that fiber in order to work its magic it needs to be fully hydrated um so you know trying to get that fluid and if you don't like water it doesn't necessarily have to be water um you know i've got a great um uh fermented ginger ginger soda in the book which is a really tasty bubbly uh micro made so it doesn't add any um any chemicals it's just the microbes make the gas bubbles which gives that nice refreshing um you know, uh, mouth feel, etc. Or, you know, you can have some water with some, um, you know, berries kind of crunched in or something like that to get your hydration up. That's awesome. And I super appreciate, because I think a lot of times people will like hear about gut health or they'll listen to a podcast like this and they'll just want to go like balls to the walls. <laughs> and then the exact thing happens where they like, I'm going to eat 50 grams of fiber. And then they're like, that was terrible. And, yeah. and then you're like, well, that's because you went from 15 to 50. Like let's slowly try to rate that up a little bit. So I love that idea of just like slowly working on increasing it over time. I think it just makes it more doable for people as well. Um, so you've kind of like been teasing some more like simple tricks. So what are some other simple ways that people can just get started today in, in, you know, coming away from this podcast being like, yes, I want to consume more fiber. I want to consume more, you know, plant sources. What could be like a couple of those next steps that they could start with? Yeah. So what I would recommend is literally taking five minutes out to jot down all the different types of plants you had yesterday, Mm. list them out. And then just make a kind of a goal to yourself that this week you're going to add in one extra plant that you wouldn't normally have. And then do that each week. And that can help you build up the amount that you're choosing. It's very, you know, very simple uh, way to achieve you know, your 30 different types of plants. But then there's also very simple hacks at the grocery store. Whenever you're there, think diversity. Don't just get your pumpkin seeds, get your mixed seeds um, pack. Don't just get your broccoli, get your stir fry mix of veg. Don't just get your chickpeas, get your three bean mix, as long as it's, you know, in, in water and not in brine or something like that. So don't just get your blueberries, get your frozen pack of mixed berries. Now, that diversity concept is going to give you loads more plant points, in turn giving loads of more these things called phytochemicals, which feed the gut bacteria, and in turn allows them to work at their finest for you. So that diversity concept, you know, is is something that we should all be thinking about when we're at the shops. And that's, and that's super easy, right? Like I, I love that tip because it's like, it doesn't require, it just requires just a simple substitution of something that's like almost the same. It's like a three berry mix is almost the same as blueberries, but just like a little bit more diversity. Um, and that makes it super simple to get started. So what immediate, well, so let's talk about benefits, right? So there's, there's obviously benefits to increasing the fiber benefits to including more plant sources in our food. Um, what are, if any, some of the immediate benefits that clients start to report versus some of maybe the longer term benefits that you start to see after you've been at this for a while? 
Yeah. So I think the immediate benefits, I hear people saying things like they've just got more energy, you know, within a week or so, they just feel like they can run after the kids for longer. Um, also sleep. They say that they're, you know, they're less likely to wake up at night. They're kind of sleeping through. Um, skin is another one. They feel like that they report just having more of a skin glow. And actually, you know, there are signs behind that in terms of the gut skin connection, um, which, you know, I, I kind of go through in the book, that two-way uh, relationship that occurs and, and not to go on a tangent, but we also have billions of bacteria on our skin, which acts like a second skin. It's called our skin microbiome. So our gut microbiome and our skin microbiome are, are, are communicating. So if you nourish them, they in turn um, can have a positive impact on things like your skin glow. And then in terms of, I guess, the the longer or more intermediate term effects. So I'm talking like after a, a month or two, people start to notice their mood increases as well. They start to feel that little bit more positive um, as well as things like weight management. Uh, so certainly, you know, within a month or so, people go, actually, you know, I feel a little bit lighter. You know, the scales are telling me that as well. And then, you know, it depends how long people want to go for and what they want to focus on. Um, and then, you know, I would say probably four months, etc. I'm seeing things like hormones really start to turn a corner um, in terms of things like, you know, whether they're people going through the menopause or even fertility. There's some there's some research there around, you know, broadening up your diet, adding more plants in not only plants. And I think that's a probably an important concept that I talk about in the book is that I recommend eating mostly plants, but doesn't need to be only plants. I understand for animal cruelty, religious um, and cultural reasons why someone might want to be 100% plant-based, i.e. vegan. But in terms of just health, um, being vegan doesn't necessarily mean you're any healthier. And I talk about in the book, if you do choose to go down that path, there are some certain supplements I would recommend you take um, because you are you can't get certain supplements um, 100% from plants. So things like your long-chain omega-3, um, you can't get them other than algae oil supplements. That's awesome. Are there, are there certain categories of people to which like the benefits are even more exponential? And the reason I'm asking this question is because you had mentioned, you know, estrogen production and specifically with menopause. And so I have to imagine, you know, women who are going through menopause, this is something that could really be, you know, something that really can make a difference for them. Are there other categories of people that are similar to that where it's like, this really could be a linchpin in, in your health? Yeah, you know, I would say people struggling with mental health. Um, you know, there's been some really powerful studies uh, in people who have, you know, clinically diagnosed moderate severe depression and adding in more plants into their diet. Again, it doesn't need to be plants only had a significant improvement in their depression scores. And in, you know, a, a number of people in that clinical trial, actually, it resolved their depression. Um and it's certainly something I see in my own clinical practice. So, you know, we know that there is that two-way communication that occurs between our gut and our brain. And depression is very heterogeneous. I totally get that. So I'm not saying we can resolve everyone's, right. yeah. um, you know, depression via via that gut-brain axis. But we have hard evidence that it can certainly help out a large number of people. That's really awesome. So one of the recommendations you make is you correct me if I'm wrong. So 30 different plant sources, is that what we're looking for throughout the week? Is that right? Throughout the week. Yes. Okay. So then that comes down to like four ish, you know, four and a half a day. So, um, that like, if that feels like a very large number, right? For 30 different types. Um, so are there other recommendations that you have for like, are, are you, 
well, this is a question. Like, are you keeping track of like, okay, I got number one, I got number two, I got number three, or what does that look like to make sure that you're hitting those like variety of the 30 different types throughout the week? Yeah, look, when I when I talk to people who are new to this concept, I say absolutely, you know, get in the in the book I've got like a um a little kind of a, a template where people can add up from each of the super six how many they've had. Yeah, yeah. Like stick that on your fridge, get one for your kids, get one for, you know, your partner and and make a little fun game out of it and it's so fun to see um you know on social media people tag me with their like kids scores versus their scores and like having this household competition and what it does is not only creates that kind of excitement and that interest particularly with the kids um but actually you then start to learn a little bit more about your normal eating habits and go oh look i actually don't eat any legumes or actually i haven't had any seeds for the past week and then you start to see kind of where you're missing out me personally because you know this has been the way that i've been eating for quite some time i don't keep a count anymore um i have you know sporadically done it and i'm up to like 70 plant points a week because it, it is actually really easy the more you get into it um but yeah i think it, it can be a really fun kind of competition to have at home or in the workplace uh to start count, counting your plant points and and see who's the the winner each week Okay. You're like speaking my love language. It's like a competition I'm in. Like, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's do a competition. So this is like probably the competitive part of me. That's like, okay, but like, what's the amount that's needed? Like if I have like a half a teaspoon of some like quinoa, does that count? Or is there like an amount that I really, you know, it doesn't, you know, you need X amount to be able to like, quote unquote count. Yeah. So what, what I've done is given each different plant, a whole plant point. So mm. whether you have, oh, you like um, thought this through, like you, we, yo, have, oh my God. we have like rules and strategies. There are rules to it. I mean, there <laughs> has to be it. rules, right? It's competition. So it's, it's a game. Pride's at stake. Um, so all, all plants except for herbs and spices only get a quarter of a point. Yeah. Um, and that's just those because have to, sorry, can, I'm going to interrupt you just because I had this question before. Does yeah, that, yeah. do they have to be fresh or does like dried count? As dried well? is great. Yeah. Okay, they're cool. still sorry. a really good source of these plant chemicals. Um, but because we have such small amounts of them, that's why I've just given them a sure. quarter. Now for the plant point system, I haven't mandated the portion that you need to have in order to get a point oh, okay. because I wanted to keep it quite simple. Sure. But what I've definitely noticed over you know the past decade, um, when I watch people's behavior, no one really ever has just a quarter of a <laughs> teaspoon of quinoa. If, I, if I they feel have like that, that would be me. I would like try to cheat yeah, the like, system. <laughs> I want to win. But, like, <laughs> but you'll end up being like, oh, I've got leftovers, so I'm going to yeah. have that the next day and then the next day. Or you've bought it in your house and therefore it's in the, it's just there and you end up tossing it into things. So That's a good point. I, I say people as the first step, don't fixate on portions. If you get a really confident or you've got some cheaters in the house like you, I do in the book have portion sizes, yeah. um, which includes things like, you know, cooked veg is like a quarter of a cup, uh, half a cup, um, you know, uh, grains again, cooked uh, half a cup, et cetera. So you get a better idea, you know, um, nuts and seeds, you know, 30 grams, et cetera. You get a better idea of what a portion is, but typically over the whole seven days, even if you only have like a teeny amount of mixed seeds, you probably do that at least three or four times and you'll end up getting a portion of it. So 
complexity out of the way. Don't necessarily fixate on portions until you're more confident and then you can start, you know, making sure it's at least one full portion. I love that. What is what is one thing that you wish that more people understood about diversity of plants? Yeah, I really, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, plants in general, what I really wish people understood is that you can enjoy them um, yeah, because, yeah, you know, good. I think it's, it's such a barrier. Certainly when I met my, my husband, he was like, I hate plants. Um, and there's two things that I wish people knew. One is that anything can taste bad if it's not prepped right. So sure. think about a steak. If you fry the hell out of it, it's all rubbery and dry. It's not going to be nice. The same goes with plants. And I think we just haven't been taught. I know I certainly wasn't how to make plants taste nice. Um, and that's why in the book, I do have the 80 recipes because it's about making literally uh, a stir fry sauce that takes five minutes to make, but has all of the amazing flavors that will make plants taste good. And one of the um, things I love testing people with is my Brussels sprout pesto. Um, and I give it to people who say, I don't like Brussels sprouts. Obviously I don't tell them this Brussels sprouts in it when they're tasting it. And they're always like, Oh, this is really nice pesto. And I'm like, Guess what the main ingredient is? It's Brussels sprouts. Um, And so it's those sorts of things highlighting that it's just dressing plants up. You know, you don't need to spend hours in the oven, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's a bit misleading. Make a quick five-minute dressing can transform the flavor. And then the second element of that is that actually you can teach your taste buds to love plants. And um, this is not only something I saw with my husband uh, and clients actually share a case study of the book in the book, um, which I think, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. I, you know, this particular client knew that plants were good for him. He was actually a doctor and he just, just didn't really like the taste of them. So we went through a process of just slowly sneaking them in. And I'm talking about like whenever he was having a smoothie, I would get him to blend in frozen cauliflower. If he was having bolognese, I would get him to add in half a can of lentils to it and all these ways just to slowly add it in. Um, And after two months or so, he was really, you know, getting along with this. Uh, He had a particularly hard, hard shift at work. And he admitted to me that he had, um, you know, one of those like McDonald's sort of burgers. Um, And he was like, Megan, you know, I, I was so disappointed. I could see that like the look in his eye, he was literally horrified. He was like, when I bit into that burger, I just did not get that same buzz that I used to. Like, I just didn't really enjoy it. Um, and I'm like, and he's like, it was like magic. And I'm like, you know, it, it's not magic. It's science. And our taste buds regenerate every 10 or so days. Our mouth also contains um, billions of bacteria. And these bacteria change our taste buds as well. So we do have scientific studies that show that after around four weeks of adding more plants into your diet, you do start to crave them more. So there, I know that's a bit of a ramble, but they're probably the two things that I wish more people would understand. You can make plants taste delicious, but also the more you add, the more your taste buds will start to crave them. Awesome. Do you have one tip that you can pull for people to try out in terms of like, this is a really great way to make plants taste better? Yeah, I would say... If you're having something like, you know, a takeaway of any form, I would say add in 
you know, some lentils to them. Because, mm. for example, like Indian or Chinese or even like a pasta, an Italian pasta, when you get takeaway, usually there's so much sauce attached to it. Sure. You add in some you know, even frozen veg to it or some, you know, lentils, tin lentils or something like that. And what it does, it allows the veg to really absorb that flavor and become so Moorish and delicious. That's a really simple one. If you want to just make plants taste good on their own, something like drizzling it with some olive oil, some smoky paprika, some rock salt in the oven for 20 or so minutes, roast it up, and, you know, whether it's something like uh, capsicum or mushrooms, um, even things like kale, you know, it, it will make it taste delicious. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of like taking like a sauce that you already love and you know you like that flavor and just like sneaking something in it. <laughs> you know, it's like you already like the flavor, just kind of coat it with uh, the vegetable or the legume or whatever it is that that you're that you're looking to, to yeah, add. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for, you know, um, pestos and stuff like that. Like in their book, avocado pestos, um, you know, which just make add that onto some frozen plain veggies, makes them so delicious and moorish. Everyone goes back for more. What about cost? Because I know that's a big thing that like runs through people's mind is like thinking about, oh my gosh, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and things at the store. It's going to so expensive. People are concerned about like finances right now. So what tips do you have to, to keep that cost under control and, and not explode your, your grocery budget? Yeah, look, I'm really passionate about people understanding that looking after their guts and eating more plants doesn't need to cost them anything extra. In fact, studies have actually shown that it can reduce your household bill. Mm-hmm. Um, because things, you know, one of the recipes in the book I've got is my spinach and ricotta stuffed pasta shells. And what I've done is taken out half of the cheese and replaced it with a can of mixed beans. That straight up cuts the cost because cheese is much more expensive than canned beans you know they're they're super accessible um and also it tastes delicious like i tested on the family they didn't even know that i made that switch um you know the same with meat adding in a can of lentils and taking out half the meat of something like a lasagna or a bolognese these sorts of things like that can really reduce the cost overall but then you know things like frozen veg we should not snub frozen veg it's a great i always have a pack for those busy days you know in the freezer ready to go a lot of them actually quite nutrition dense because they snap freeze them um same with things like frozen berries Uh, and then you know people are on a budget i say definitely buy in bulk where you can and then freeze them you know, for, you know, next month or next season and always buy in season on that note. Um, you know, and you know, things are in season by how much they are. Don't just have in your head, I'm going to the shops and I have to buy strawberries because if strawberries are out of season, they can be like three times the cost. It's ridiculous. So it's about, you know, all the recipes in the book and pretty much whatever recipes you're following, they can be adapted. If it says fruit, you know, you don't necessarily need to have strawberries. I'm sure it'll work with watermelon or, you know, whatever sort of like same colored fruit that's that's in season. And same with veg, you know, I'm all for throwing in, in a stir fry, any leftover kind of cut up wilted veg you've got going. Um, you know, you don't always have to have the perfectly shaped veg to make a really delicious stir fry. Um, so those sorts of things really can highlight that, you know, it's, it can save you money actually eating more plants. That's awesome. Okay. List the super six for me again. Whole grains, nuts and seeds, your fruit, your veg, your legumes, and your herbs and your spices. Okay. Vegetables, fruit, herbs, seeds and nuts, grain. Which one am I missing? 
Legumes. Legumes. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Because what I want to do is I want to play a little fun game with you and just do a rapid fire of your favorite of each of those. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So favorite vegetable. I love bok choy. Sounds really weird. Bok choy is so good. We've been having that Soy sauce and garlic. So good. Oh, love it. Um, Favorite fruit. I think watermelon at the moment. Summer here. Love mm-hmm. a good watermelon. Yeah. Uh, favorite And just herb. a quick note. Sorry, a oh. quick note on that. Add some live yogurt to the watermelon. Some and what live happens, live, like full fat, live, yeah. just natural, no add sugar yogurt. What happens is that fat from the yogurt helps your body absorb this nutrient in watermelon called lycopene. Mm-hmm. And that protects your skin from UV damage by quite, quite a load. Um, so, again, that's where the diversity comes in. Mixing foods instead of just having one that you mm. eat alone. Yeah, Lycopene is so, like also found in tomatoes. Yes. Yeah. And cool. papaya. Yeah. And papaya too. Okay. So awesome. Favorite herb. Smoky paprika. Mm. I love smoky pepper. I only discovered smoky pepper about like maybe two or three years ago. And I'm like, what? this is so much better than regular paprika. Where has this been all my life? <laughs> I know. I completely agree. Um, okay. Seeds and nuts. I love walnuts and seeds. I'm really into chia at the moment. Mm, awesome. Favorite grain? I love frika. Have you heard of frika before? No, I've never even heard of that. You know what? So many people have never heard of it before yeah. yet. It's in all our mainstream supermarkets. I'm not talking about fancy health food stores. Um, it's just like hidden at the back. So it's it's a delicious kind of nutty grain, okay. and I often like switch it for things like um, risotto, like the risotto rice, mm-hmm. um, and things like barley. It's it's I love it. Definitely give it give it a try. Okay, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try to find it. Uh, favorite legume? Butter beans at the moment. So creamy, so creamy. Yeah, they kind of remind me of lima beans. Not <laughs> like they're so yeah. big. <laughs> Um, they are. I love them. That's awesome. Okay. Well, this has been so much fun, Megan. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, is there anything left that you're like, I want to make sure anybody who's listening to this walks away from, from something uh, in the podcast? What would that thing be? I think my top three tips. So my first one is getting in your 30 plants if you can each and every week. The second one, particularly for people who've got gut issues, is chewing your food well. Now, it sounds so easy and simple, but... Studies have actually shown, and I see it in clinic all the time, if you're struggling with bloating or funky poops, chewing your food at least 20 times can be an absolute game changer because we not only physically break down the food, we have enzymes in our slab which chemically break down the food and supports digestion. So chewing your food well. And then the third one is de-stressing. Uh, it's not just all about food for gut health. We know that there is that two-way communication. If you're stressed up here, it literally strangles your gut and means that the bacteria can't work at their best. So if it's, I know, you know, I'm a mum as well. It's very hard to have time for yourself to, you know, you don't have hours to do yoga flows and all the rest of it. But I'm talking five minutes to do some belly breathing or, you know, even if you're going for a walk with the kids, you know, just trying to like listen to your footsteps as you're walking for five minutes and just be really present and mindful can really calm that two-way communication that occurs between the gut and the brain. I love it. And then last, will you tell us a little bit about your book? Yes. So How to Eat More Plants um, is my my latest book, which I'm you know really passionate about. So my first book's called Love Your Gut. And that was all about how people could get on top of their digestive issues, whether it's food intolerances, bloating, constipation, IBS, etc. Um, and then from that, people were like, okay, great. I'm feeling good. But now I know that it's 
you know, our gut bacteria are linked with our hormone health, you know, our brain health, skin health. I want to now max out on it. Like I want to, like, what should I be eating? So that's when how to eat more plants came to being where, you know, it's packed, not just of the information and science, but the practical elements of the recipes and, you know, things like if you've got a sensitive gut, follow this um, eating pattern, you know, the sensitive meal eating, sensitive gut um, menu plan. So then you don't get those painful gut symptoms. If you're a bit of a binge eater and you can't keep chocolate in your house because you can't, you know, be surrounded around it, then I've got this mindful eating um, protocol that I get you to follow to really re-engage your relationship with food. So there's a lot of like practical strategies. I've got like five minute strategies for relaxing that gut brain axis in terms of box breathing and, you know, cuddle hormone, enhancing that through uh, a number of like touching techniques and all of that sort of stuff. So I wanted the book to be very accessible, um, but always backed by plenty of science because I know we know science works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen it, you know, transform the lives of thousands of my patients of over the past 15 or so years. So I just want people to feel better. And this is what the science says, you know, can really move that dial on how people feel and look. That's awesome. And we will link all of that up in the show notes. um, So you can check out that book um, as well. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge with my audience. It's, It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Like I said, in the episode, we will link up everything that she talked about in the show notes. So if you're wanting to check out her book, that'll be linked under bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash 245. And then we'll also link up, she said that she would send me the... um, the questionnaire that you can fill out to kind of get a sense of where you're at with, with your gut health. So that will all be linked up in the show notes at bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash 245. Thanks for being here. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to and leave a rating and review. That really does help the podcast. It helps the platforms to know that people are listening and people are enjoying, and that really helps the podcast to continue to grow and to reach more people. That wraps up this episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm Amber. Now go out and be strong because remember, my friend, you can do anything. Hey friend, have you heard the news? We have a Biceps After Babies Radio insider list. If you love Biceps After Babies Radio, you don't want to miss a thing. Head to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash insider to join the group. You'll be the first to know all things about the podcast, see some behind the scenes, and get special messages from yours truly. We want to make this a special community for those who are fans of the podcast. And last, did this episode particularly resonate with you? If so, will you please share it? Either send the link to someone who would find it valuable or take a screenshot and post it to your social media and tell your family and friends why they should listen. Make sure you tag me at Biceps After Babies so I can hear your feedback and give you a little love. And, you know, if you aren't already following me on Instagram or Facebook, that's the perfect time to hit that follow button. Thank you for being here and listening to Biceps After Babies Radio.